From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. we miss that? Hello, and welcome back to the How Did We Miss That podcast. I'm Christine. And I'm John. We've got some good stuff for you guys today, and mine is going to be in several parts. So, okay, I think we could a get saga, right into it. It's will. a saga. We've got something old, something new, nothing borrowed and nothing blue. Well, I think the people that lost their families are pretty blue. Okay, I hear you. All right, well, take it away. And I mean, I guess I kind of borrowed some of this information from my sources. Yeah, and we always borrow. I mean, we're not, these aren't original thoughts. Yeah, we didn't make this up or anything. Hell, I borrowed my topic from you from last week, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Take it away. Right. So, the thing that I'm going to be talking about today is something that I heard of because it was actually a movie that was made in, I believe it was 2011. And I actually thought it was just the movie. I didn't realize it was true. I didn't actually see the movie. I'll have to admit on that one. But I had heard about the movie coming out. Didn't realize it was real. And so when I heard about this in some of my studies, I thought, this is really interesting. There's a lot of people being found in this particular area. How how are we not talking about this more? So, what was the movie? Are you going to tell us? I'm going to, well, yeah, because it was the name of what I'm going to talk about here. Oh, good, good. So, before I talk about the Texas killing fields, I'm going to cite my sources. There was an um, episode 144 of the Time Suck with Dan Cummins podcast. That's a great name. It I is like good. That. <laughs> it is good. His, his podcast is actually really cool. He gets listener suggestions and then like learns everything there is to know about that one particular thing. And like reports on it. So it's, it's kind of cool. Kinda yeah. A cool concept. As much as I listen to like the variety show type podcasts, I really like those deep dive ones. I've been getting more into them. Right. So I got a lot of information from him. Of course, Wikipedia and a CBS News article that actually surfaced when the movie came out. So it was interesting. So you might be asking yourself, what are the Texas killing fields? Besides this like title that just invokes goosebumps all over me when I hear it. It's just this stretch of land, basically. It's a much scarier name than the Dallas Cowboys or something. I mean, I feel like this should be the name of the state football team, the Texas Killing Fields. Yeah, but I feel like that might be something people don't want to rally around. Negative connotation, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it kind of depends on who you ask, but basically it's about a 25-acre lot or a 50-mile stretch of highway, again, depending upon which story you read, bordering the Calder Oil Fields, that's halfway between Galveston and Houston on the Interstate 45 corridor running both north and south. Okay. So far, so good. Following me? I follow. I do. I mean, I've never been to that area of Texas, but I'm picturing it in my mind. Right. So again, like I said, it's it's from Galveston to Houston. So it's like from the coast inland. Yes. Okay. The eastern coast, right? Right. So Galveston's like in the Gulf. 
yeah. on sort of an island. Is it an actual island or a peninsula? I'm not mm. sure, but it's like a little islandy yeah, thing. Yeah, they get hammered with the hurricanes right. when they have them there. Yeah. Right. Well, sometimes you might hear it referred to as the killing fields, the highway to hell, or sometimes these murders are known by the I-45 killer. Okay. So if you've ever heard any of those, that's what I'm going to talk about today. I missed it. I have not heard of any of those before today. So the murders began in the early 1970s. And again, depending upon who you ask, have claimed anywhere from 18 to more than 70 lives. That's a big discrepancy. Yeah. So I'll talk about that in just a second. Okay. So the story that I'm going to tell you today deals with the property off Calder Road by the oil fields. So either you're talking about the whole entire I-45 corridor or you're talking about this 25 acre lot. And that's why the numbers change. Okay. Does that gotcha. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Also, some people attribute people that go missing from the area, but are perhaps found somewhere else as being part of the killing fields. Some people attribute people who have gone missing from somewhere else and found that the killing fields as being part. What I'm going to talk to you about are people that went missing from the area and found on the lot. Okay. Does gotcha. that make sense? It does. Yeah. I, okay. People do that sometimes. They'll uh, start associating all these exactly. pieces after the fact. Right. And nobody really knows. So again, like I said, I'm going to tell you about the property that's off Calder Road by the, by the oil fields. And it's responsible for the discovery of 28 bodies of young girls ranging from the ages of 12 to mostly 23. Although there's two outliers and I'll talk about those later. So okay. 28 so that's kind of why I have to break this up. Can I ask you a it's question a lot of people real quick? To talk about yeah. Since you're a um, student of murder and bad things, what's when do you cross that threshold from just everyday kind of not everyday murderer? That's the wrong thing to say, but <laughs> when do you cross that threshold to where you're like, wow, that's a lot, or that's you know, whatever? I mean, is it more than one? Is it that simple, or is it when you get into the twenties? What is it? So I feel like there's that saying that's like. One is an event, two is a, I don't remember something, and three, two is a coincidence, and three is like, it's happening, right? Okay, I got so you. So I kind yeah. of feel like when you get past the three and there's a pattern there, I, I mean, I, I feel okay. like that's enough. <laughs> I feel yeah, like one's I just, enough. But yeah, I mean, listen, I, I see what you're saying. Like, do, is it 10 that's a lot or is it 50 that's a lot? I mean. Right, and and kind of coldly and, and ignorantly, I, you know, when I hear five i'm like eh. but if i hear 20 i'm like oh my god that seems like a lot so yeah I, one is enough it's tragic and bad so i'm not trying to sound like a total jerk here but i'm just wondering <laughs> should i be like oh my god at 50 or oh my god at five you know makes sense right i hear what you're saying because i'm not I, i'm not into this as much as you so i wanted to know what the standard was out there i don't think there is a standard i think it's um how you feel how you view it some people are shocked by just one person being killed others it takes a little bit more to Get your juices flowing. If so. I'm ever under investigation someday, this is going to resurface. And he was so cold. One murder wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's true. I Maybe we should it. think about this. I know, right? Recording. Hmm. Okay, carry on. Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. So now, like I said, the murders began in the early 1970s where no one was really worried about their daughters being out alone. And everyone was still pretty secure in the sleepy town that was around this area. So our first victim, Colette Wilson, was 13 years old. And she was from the town of Alvin, Texas. This was a small railroad town that was first settled when the Santa Fe Railroad was established. It's a pretty old town, but still small. Yeah. 
I'd like to look up how just how old. Probably like 1800s. That's when the railroad towns were booming. Yes. Right. And so as I was doing research on this, I found out that Alvin was actually a town that until, I mean, obviously before this, but up until pretty recently before this, they actually didn't allow African-Americans to live in their town. Wow. So I think it was pretty old. (laughs) Well, yes. You never know with the South, right? (laughs) Right. That's true. But obviously Southern states still do that crap today. But yeah. It was different in the 1970s. They figured themselves out. Yep. Got it together. Mm -hmm. Before this murder, the most exciting thing about Alvin was that it was actually the birthplace of Nolan Ryan. Okay. I know that. Yeah. 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 So it was pretty exciting. On Thursday, (laughs) June 17th of 1971 at 1230 p.m., Colette was standing at the intersection of Highway 6 and County Road 99. She was wearing a Mickey Mouse t-shirt, purple shorts, and carried her clarinet case. She had just left band camp, but was only two miles from her home. Her instructor had agreed to drop her off so that her mother could come and pick her up. At home, her mother had asked which of her 10 brothers and sisters would like to accompany her to pick up Colette. Holy cow. 10, 10 children. Yeah, that's a lot. We can barely handle our two. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine eight more children? (laughs) I can't even wrap my head around three, as you know. Ten. Eight more children. Insane. (laughs) So three of her children went with her. Six minutes from the time her instructor dropped her off, her mother Claire arrived at the designated pickup spot to find Colette was gone. So in the six minutes it took to get there from when her instructor dropped her off. That's pretty fast. And I just want to point out, I mean, this is why I'm here for the show. So forgive me, everyone, and you. She plays the clarinet and her mom's name is Claire. What are the odds? I know. It's good. All right. Anyway. Claire sat and waited for a while. Someone in an old car was already parked there. She had never seen the man before, but decided not to speak to him or take down his license number or description or anything. But honestly, things like that just don't run through people's minds sometimes. She couldn't have known that she may need that. And for all we know, this dude had nothing to do with Colette's disappearance or may have not even seen anything. I just know that for myself, I would have wanted every single detail that I could get. But again, you know, when you're in that situation, you don't know that you need all that information. I am Mr. Security, Mr. Situational Awareness, and I always forget that as well. It's definitely not the first thing that comes to mind. Right. Well, and there's sometimes like I'll be driving down the road and I'll see something that looks really strange and I'll make a note to myself like, oh, it was 7.37 p.m. and the car's white and the person blah, blah, blah or whatever. And then I always forget. that I, Oh, man, you're better than me. <laughs> I, I forgot that I took that note in my head. Like may- I need to write it down or something. Maybe it's because I do too much of it at work, so I don't bring that home with me. But I should be that way. You're better than me. I I don't even do that. And I I really should. Like as a true crime lover, it's stuff like this. Like Colette was standing there on the corner, like by herself. If obviously in 1971, it's a different situation. But if today I see this little 13 year old standing on the side of the road and no one's there and there's a weird car, my true crime brain goes, okay, you need to remember what she looked like, what she was wearing, what this person was. And I think about all that kind of stuff just because I've seen this so many times. Yeah. And as you were speaking, it made me think, I think the problem with me is you're like more in report mode. And I think that I am more in like response mode. That's why mm-hmm. I don't think about the details of the situation. I'm thinking about how, what will I do to intervene and or exit from this area versus looking at all the details around me. So we're a good team. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, 
<laughs> I can imagine myself sitting sometime and on the news, there's this person that like, oh my gosh, I saw them. Right. How and bad like, would you feel? I can be the one yeah. to be like, oh, this car with this license plate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm with you. So I, I guess I, I'm, I'm unfairly judging her of not yeah. taking down this information, but. I would feel terrible because I forgot. I hear you. Right. So anyway, Claire returns home after a few minutes to make some calls because, you know, we don't have cell phones. She calls her husband, Tom, who then calls the police. The police don't seem worried, but two days later on the 19th, when she still has not come home, they begin to treat her disappearance more seriously. They issue a statewide alert. They bring in reinforcements. But seriously, this person's long gone by now. I mean, it's been two days. Yeah, we've said on a couple stories about how the police didn't seem to care at first. I've learned through research that I think that's a trained behavior to not like freak out. Can you imagine if all the cops were like, oh, my God, we got something bad going on here. And that would just incite more fear in the person reporting it or whatever. So I think they're trained to kind of downplay it first. But as we've pointed out in all these cases, it's too late then. Right. And I think, though, in this time period, it was not unusual for the police to think, "Okay, this might be a rebel. This might be a runaway. Yeah. Um, it just didn't happen, you know. Well, did, I, they still do it today, though. I mean, I hear right. what you're saying, but I think during that, this time it just didn't happen, you yeah. know. So I think they just automatically assume, like, oh, she must have ran away. She must be with a boyfriend, or she must be with a friend. She'll come back, you know. You know, it's funny you say that in this time it wasn't a thing. I feel like all these stories about the Night Stalker and these murders were from years ago. You don't hear about them nowadays. No, because we're all on alert now. Yeah, that's true, I guess. (laughs) I mean, think about all the kidnappings from when our parents were teens and younger in the 70s and the 60s. Yeah. All these kids getting taken when suddenly we have stranger danger where it's a big deal. Like, don't talk to people. Don't take candy from people. Mm -hmm. And like now, like our kids are just, it's ingrained in them. Like if you don't know somebody, you shouldn't be talking to them. So I would think it would be harder to snatch kids up. if That's a great point. And what's so weird, though, is back then, I was just free to roam the city on my bike. Right. That shit would never fly with our kids. No. Now. I wouldn't let them, nor would they want to. Exactly. It's I mean, so, look it's at us. It's weird you say that. That's funny. We have our cameras out front watching our kids get off the bus and into the house. Yeah. <laughs> While we're in the house. While we're in the house. <laughs> yeah. Because there's that split second that we, you know, who, yeah. oh, who was it? I read her story. Don't tell me. I don't want oh to know. Gosh. It'll freak me out. It wasn't Elizabeth Smart. Was it Elizabeth Smart? Maybe it was Elizabeth Smart. Somebody was walking to school and yeah. they just grabbed her. And it's just like the craziest, scary thing to me. Yeah. It, well, it can happen in a split second. That's for anyway, sure. But yeah. So finally, months later on November 26th, after investigations by the Texas Rangers, state troopers, and even a private investigator that was hired by the Wilsons, Colette's body would be found. So just two weeks after Colette's disappearance on July 2nd. So she was found in November, but she had disappeared, remember, in June. Yes. On July 2nd, some men were standing on scaffolding in order to paint a bridge that was near the Galveston Harbor Channel on the southern end of the I-45. So told you it goes north and south from the mm-hmm. coast into Houston. Yeah. At about 10 that morning, one painter notices something floating near them in the water. Don't just don't look at floating things in the water. Just don't do it. Yeah. I have a funny story about that. Just run away from floating things in the water. (laughs) Yeah. It's either like a gator or a body. Can I tell my story real quick? It's very short. Go. Last year before COVID went nuts, I was on a business trip in New Jersey right next to a river and there was tons of shit floating 
And all I could think of was, I'm going to see a dead body float by here. Like one of <laughs> Tony Soprano's victims or something. Because there was just so much stuff. And like you said, I tried not to look. Because I'm like, I'm going to be an accessory to murder something here. I'm going to see something <laughs> I don't want to see from my room. So I'm just going to shut the blinds and not look the whole time. I trip. like it. Very nice. Well, <laughs> there's many an SVU episode that starts with a body in the Hudson. So. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so he's asking his co-workers to take a look. They're all trying to guess what it might be, but they soon realize that it is the body of a young, completely nude African-American woman. Her hands and feet had been bound with long plastic laces. Initially, the police estimated the body to be around 20 years old, but in fact was later discovered to be the body of 14-year-old Brenda Jones. She was an eighth grader at Holy Rosary Catholic School, this was actually the first African-American Catholic school in the whole state of Texas. Kind of mm, cool. Interesting. Holy Rosary. Holy Rosary. Batman. <laughs> she was considered to be an excellent student. Why are they always good kids? I feel so bad. It's always good. Like, uh, she could have been, she could have been someone super cool. I have my um, theories though, but if they, if they were a bad kid, do you think it's going to show up in Wikipedia in these stories? The, yes. the kid that was murdered was a real shit well, show. Well, no, how about... <laughs> pain right. in the ass. But how about the one I did earlier about the kids that were all drug dealers and not the greatest kids? It doesn't mean they deserve to be killed. I, nobody deserves to be killed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, of course, they're always going to portray them as an up-and-coming, bright future, whatever. I know. Not like that, I said, if you light yeah. up a room or yeah, not that they so had, fun to be around, right. you're, you're going to die. This person had bad grades and they were a real asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. When she did not return home, her family went looking for her and one of her sisters called the police. Before she went missing, Brenda had told her mother that she wanted to visit her aunt, who was in the hospital recovering from a broken leg. The bus driver that took her confirmed that Brenda got on the bus at the hospital and got off the bus a few blocks from her home. So in the few blocks she would have walked home, she was taken. Okay, now you might want to skip ahead on this one or cover your ears. Go la 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 la. Okay. La 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 la. Not la, you. La, la, la. <laughs> Not you. You know what I'll do is I'll just plug in the sound effect from Family Guy right there and it'll be perfect. <laughs> right. Well, whatever <laughs> you need to do, but it's definitely tough to hear. Okay. So I'm going to pause so that you can skip ahead like eight seconds. We're talking to you, Erica. Erica, we're talking ears. to you. La 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 la. Okay. Last warning. Last warning. Final warning and go. Here I go. The autopsy report showed that Brenda had been sexually assaulted and that her panties were shoved down her throat before her death. That wasn't that gross. <laughs> okay, well, if you were skipping, you can come back now. So I guess they were using that to probably keep her quiet, maybe? I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. I think it's terrible. The coroner also determined that she had died just before she was found. So just hours before, actually. Meaning that whoever abducted her had kept her alive all night before killing her just before sunrise the next morning. Initially, these two murders were not connected with each other, even though they were so close together. Hmm. Although I guess they just went, one was gone at this point in time. They didn't find her till November. So I guess they couldn't really connect it at that point. Yeah. So just one month later, 14-year-old Rhonda Johnson and 13-year-old Sharon Shaw go missing. Right after attending a water ski school in Galveston, it's the Wicks Water Ski School, the shop owner told police that girls had the girls had only stayed for a short period of time because he had told them that the boat was not going to go out that day because the waters were really choppy. Hmm. So then they looked around a little bit and they left. Okay. Witnesses claim they saw the girls leave the ski school and then head down a main thoroughfare that led toward the beach. 
When the girls did not return home, their parents began searching for them. Three months later, on October 28th, 19-year-old Gloria Gonzalez was reported missing by her roommate. She was last seen near her apartment in Houston. And like the victims we've already talked about, she seemed to just vanish. There was absolutely no clues. Nobody saw her. Just gone. Then on November 9th, by the way, this is all still 1971, 12-year-old Allison Craven goes missing. Her mother had been gone running errands for about an hour, and when she returned home, Allison was gone. So if you're keeping score at home, we've got six girls that have all gone missing between the months of June and November of 1971, and all between the ages of 12 and 19 years old. I'm sorry, but it's starting to sound like an alarming pattern to me. Yeah, I was going to say we definitely have a a pattern We got six girls. Yes. That's a bit much, guys. Same sort of age group. Yeah. And the 14-year-old looked older, so I think that... Well, yeah, the police initially maybe thought he she didn't was 20. Know, so he's going... He's got a he's got a target, a type. Right. So like I said, they're, um, all the bodies that I'll be talking about throughout these next few episodes are between the ages of 12 and 23, with two of them being completely different ages, which we'll get into as we get to them. But I feel like there's a little bit of a pattern. But wait. There's more. There's more. Just six days after Allison is reported missing, two more girls are gone. 15-year-olds Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson, they were friends that loved going to the beach and were regular customers of the same ski school that Rhonda and Sharon went to. Hmm. Hmm. At around 11.15 a.m., employees of the Baskin-Robbins that was in the mall there um, saw Debbie and Maria hitchhiking, which at this time wasn't too strange was a different time like we've talked about people trusted each other and things like this just didn't happen so it's kind of normal which is scary but it is yeah right there's nothing normal about this right but they accepted a ride from a white man in a white van with a peace sticker on the back and i'm not sure you can get any more white than that seems pretty white to me yeah that is as white as they come yeah they climbed into his van and were never seen alive again when the girls did not return home The families worked together to help find the girls. They even employed the help of the Texas Rangers. And I'm talking the law enforcement agency, not the baseball team. Well, now I see the Nolan Ryan connection because he was a, not only was he a fucking badass. If you don't know about Nolan Ryan, I mean, this guy, most pitchers are kind of thin and, you know, know, they're not like your biggest guys. One time he hit somebody and the the batter charged them out and he he kicked ass. Like nice. he laid well, down. Well, maybe they didn't need Nolan Ryan then. That's what I'm saying. Maybe like now it all Texas makes Rangers. sense. They brought the Rangers, Let all the, the everybody team out here. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, anyway, I had to say that because I wasn't quite sure what the Texas Rangers were, besides the baseball team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why are they calling the baseball team? But anyway, <laughs> so yes, it was a law enforcement agency, um, not the baseball team. <laughs> no, I mean I think they could hold their own, but you never know. Right. It would be kind of cool to have like a baseball team detective agency. Well, it's funny, you asked me before looking it up, and I said, well, usually teams are named after something that has to do historically with the state, so I assume there's some badass, you know, law group or something. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. It is. On November 17th, two days after Debbie and Maria went missing, an older gentleman came upon a body in Turner Bayou. The girl, who was only partially submerged, had long reddish-brown hair and was completely nude from the waist down. The body was identified as 15-year-old Maria Johnson. Her parents and sister were called to identify her body. 
While they were pulling her body from the water, a fireman spotted some skin poking out of the water about 300 feet from where Maria had been found. The also nude from the waist down body was that of Debbie Ackerman. So remember, Debbie and Maria were hanging out together. Why are they nude all the time? Or is he raping them or what's going on here? Oh, yeah. They're all being sexually assaulted for sure. Okay. Their wrists and ankles were bound. And if you remember back at the beginning of our story with Brenda Jones, she was found the same way. Yes, with the plastic laces. Right. So the killer this time used long black cords that looked like shoelaces. Okay. They also noticed gunshot wounds to the backs of the girls, which was different in this case. Law enforcement still had not connected all the murders. But that did not stop fear from finally gripping the I-45 corridor. So people are finally like, oh, man, something's happening. Yeah. I think this is actually a good place to stop for tonight. And I will continue next week with more information about the highway to hell. ACDC? That'd be cool. Tonight was all about Nolan Ryan. Next week's all about highway to hell. Yeah. I can't do ACDC voice. Apparently. Well, okay, that was riveting. Yeah, well, it's it's how a many, lot more, a lot more to go. How many bodies did we get through on this one? Um, eight, nine, eight, six or eight, something like that. Wow. Yeah, we got twenty more to go. Crazy. <laughs> okay, well, this week it's my turn to completely butcher the Japanese language. Oh, right. I sh- I feel like I should have done something Texas related, but Maybe, you know, yeah. Last week you talked about oh, uh, Gahara. We just Aoki listened. Gahara. Aokigahara. Oh, oh my gosh. How did we even say it? I think that's what it is. Yeah. Aokigahara. Also known as the Sea of Trees or the Suicide Forest. Right. And when you mentioned it, we went on a very brief little rabbit hole last week. And I said, man, we should look more into that because I bet there's some creepy stuff. Turns out there is. So I did a little deeper dive because I was intrigued by this. All right. Got some more body count going on in this one. So first, before I get into it, I'll do a little recap in case people didn't listen last week. But I did some a little bit of research on the forest and why it kind of is what it is. It has to do with geology. There was volcanic ash long, long, long time ago right. that made it super dense. Did you say this last week? I just mentioned it briefly because the compasses don't work because of the iron. Yes. Well, you said that part, but it also it draws so many people because of the solitude, the ash and all that and the volcanic rock make it very quiet like it filters out all of the outside noise so wow people go there to you know kill themselves in peace i guess but as we said last week it's a forest on the northwestern flank of japan's mount fuji thriving on 30 square kilometers of hardened lava like i just said from the eruption of mount fuji in 864 ce what does ce mean common era i've yeah um, it's for those people who don't want to put the religious connotation yes, on gotcha. it. So I have a question for you, and maybe you don't know this, but for all of us Americans, <laughs> yeah. what's kilometers? <laughs> well, what's the what's the mileage on that? Twelve one? square miles. Okay, thank you. I just knew that off the top of my head. Wikipedia didn't tell me at all. That's awesome. By the way, my source is Wikipedia and last week's show. Awesome. So, like we said last week, the forest has a historical reputation. Of suicides, there was 105 bodies found there. I believe that's what you said last week, correct? Um, I said just in one year, I think in 2003. Yes, that's correct. And we mentioned last week that a YouTuber, but you didn't know the name, had filmed 
bodies there. Well, right. when I did a little more digging, I found out that it was none other than Logan Paul, who's very popular right now due to his... I don't even know who that is. Right. Well, if you know anything about pop culture, this guy and his brother are total douches, and they are like super rude. They're known for being mean and just total assholes oh, online, okay. like attacking people. And they're also known recently because they've decided to take up boxing and they're actually sort of good at it, but now they're calling out like real fighters, and the real fighters are like, "I'm going to kick your ass if we box. Like you, you won't recognize your face." And so they're very popular online with all these stunts, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, TikTok, all the things the kids do. Turns out he was asked to remove the videos; they're no longer there, like you said last week. But he's also like on the hook for three million dollars. There's some kind of suit for him. Wow, a three million dollar suit? That's no, it's a pretty expensive no. suit. Lawsuit. Got it. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying, though. Sorry. <laughs> and, you know, sidebar real quick. The first thing that popped in my mind is this guy, $3 million is nothing to this kid. Where did we go wrong? Yeah, I don't he know. He makes YouTube videos talking shit about people. Mm. Millionaire. Love it. I work my ass off for less than a yeah. million dollars, whatever. You mm-hmm. know what I'm trying to say. The theme of last week's episode when it came to this forest was suicides. And that's what I want to talk about next and go into a little bit more. But first, I will just say the forest has a historical reputation as a home to the yure, which I looked up, and mm-hmm. that's the right way to say it, or ghosts of the dead in Japanese mythology. And we have a whole section on that in just a minute. Is there ghosts of the living? Uh, fair, <laughs> fair question. Oh, wait, wasn't that? No, no, no. She was dead. Never mind. I would say that movie that was supposed to be set in Japan. Oh, yeah. Where they were saying like extreme emotion could cause somebody to like oh, okay. send their spirit yeah, yeah. to you or whatever. You or make a fair point different. though, a fair Captain Obvious point that I think we should start making more of a point of. Like last week you said dark suicidal thoughts. And as I was editing and, and thinking to myself, are there any bright suicidal thoughts? Like, no, I'm going to kill be myself peop- today. No, but there might be people who feel like it's a good thing. Maybe they're a burden to somebody or. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. All I right. mean, I don't see it as a good thing, but maybe somebody who really wants to just be at peace and be done with pain or whatever it is. I don't know. Akigahara is sometimes referred to as the most popular site for suicide in Japan, as we've said. Yes, you're right. 2,305 bodies were found in the forest, exceeding the previous record of 78. <laughs> They've been keeping oh, records dear. on this for a while. We mentioned last week as well about all the signs everywhere, which makes that mm-hmm. kind of creepy. I mean... Now I think it's become a tourist attraction just for that, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, it sounds like it is, which I don't know if I want to go in there. This here says that annual body searches have been conducted by police and volunteers since the 70s. -hmm. So another 70s connection. Crazy. Um, But the popularity of the site was attributed to a novel from 1961. However, the history of suicide there predates the novel's publication, and the place has long been associated with death or Ubasute, which may have been practiced there. So do you, would you like to know what Ubasute is? I was just going to ask you. You didn't do this part last week, right? I did not. Okay. No. Ubasute, also known as abandoning an old woman, also called Obasute, I think, and sometimes Oyasute. My. Which means loosely translated as abandoning a parent is the supposed rare old practice of senicide in Japan, whereby an infirm or elderly relative was carried to a mountain or some other remote desolate place like a forest and left there to die. According to the 
Kodansha Illustrated Encyclopedia of Japan, ubasute is the subject of legend, but does not seem to have ever been a common custom. Oh, okay. Well, that's so I'm good. sure Jesus, you've seen terrible. You've probably seen in movies or whatever the typical Japanese art with the cherry yeah. blossoms, usually mm-hmm. whatever. There's a lot of art around this where it shows like an old woman in a forest, you know, looking frail kind oh. of with herself and dying, right? Awful. People did that in this forest. That's why it was long associated with death far before the novel probably led to some of the fascination of people wanting to complete suicide there. Mm-hmm. I mean, where else would you go? I would go to the death forest if I knew that sure. was a thing due to folklore and pop culture or whatever. Well, and then they said, too, in the research I did last week that because of how vast it is and how dense it is, you're very unlikely to meet anyone else along your your travels in the forest. So Right. Now, I don't want to pretend to understand Japanese culture or, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Disrespect it in any way. So I'd like to explain the importance of the Japanese afterlife so we can understand the two between suicide and this ubasute. Okay, perfect. According to traditional Japanese beliefs, all humans have a spirit or soul called raikon. Raikon. I hope I'm saying these right. I should have looked them up, but <laughs> I didn't. It's it's R-E-I-K-O-N. Raikon? Yeah, I would yeah? think right. Yeah. Okay. When a person dies, the Raycon leaves the body and enters a form of purgatory where it waits for the proper funeral and post-funeral rites to be performed so that it may join its ancestors. So kind of similar to Western culture with, you know, purgatory, all that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? And we pray for the souls of the, you know, the repose of their soul. Yes. Now, if all these rites and all this is done correctly, the Raycon is believed to be a protector of the living family and to return annually in August during the Oban festival to receive thanks. So that's kind of similar to the Right. It's like Spanish Day de los culture. Muertos. Right. Mm-hmm. So all kind of similar things. Here's where it gets different though. I think from Western culture especially. If the person dies, however, in a sudden or violent manner, such as murder or suicide, or if the proper rites have not been performed, or if they are influenced by powerful emotions such as the desire for revenge, love, jealousy, hatred, or sorrow, the Rikon is believed to transform into a yurei, which is a ghost. Got a it. A scary ghost. So that's Not like a friendly ghost. The movie we watched. Oh, um, Megumi? Shudder or whatever? Yeah, Megumi. Is it Shudder? Is that what it was? Yeah, I think so. Where she was so in love with him and so upset. Yeah, and they killed her, him out of, or they killed her out they of. They killed uh, her, and she was obviously murdered, obviously. Right. And so she stuck around with him. She haunted him. Ooh, I just got like all chills. Right? Okay. D- did they speak about the Yuri in that? They I may don't know have. If they did. We're going to have to go back and watch that. I know that. they talked about like that her soul would stick there for some reason. It's said that the Yuri can bridge the gap back to the physical world. The emotion or thought need not be particularly strong or driven. Even innocuous thoughts can cause a death to become disturbed. Once a thought enters the mind of a dying person, their yure will come back to complete the action last thought of before returning to the cycle of reincarnation. This is pretty creepy, right? Are you having nightmares now? I am. (laughs) The yure then exists on earth until it can be laid to rest either by performing the missing rituals or resolving the emotional conflict that still lies that's, I'm sorry, that still ties it to the physical plane. If the rituals are not completed or the conflict left unresolved, the yure will persist in its haunting. 
Yikes. Now you know why the forest is haunted. Is creepy. Because they are all floating around in there trying to resolve their conflicts somehow. Mm. And I don't know if they never leave there or what, but several reports and sightings of this forest being haunted and creepy and scary. Forests are scary anyway, right? Yeah. What do our friends Georgia and Karen say? Stay the F out of the forest. Stay out of the forest, my friends. Especially this one. Oftentimes the lower the social rank of the person who died violently or was treated harshly during life, the more powerful a yure they would return. Mm. <laughs> it's getting creepier and creepier. This is illustrated in the fate of Oiwa in the story of Yotsuya Kaiden or the servant Okiku in Bancho Sari Yashiki. I'm guessing those are, that's terrible. I feel so Probably bad. Probably folk tales, I bet. All of those sound delicious. I would order them at the restaurant, but I don't <laughs> think they're food. I think they're probably folk tales and stories. Are you creeped out yet? Totally creeped out. Would you like to be a little more creeped out? Oh, sure. I want to talk to you real quickly about the appearance of the Yure in case one of them shows up here after I'm butchering oh, all these names. they don't look like... I'm probably pissing off a whole slew of yure tonight, so be on the lookout for the following. In the late 17th century, a game called I'm Not Even Gonna Try became popular, (laughs) and Caden increasingly became a subject for theater, literature, and other arts. I I wish I could pronounce this, but it's very long. (laughs) Lots of syllables. Hayakuma, nope, not not gonna try. Nope. The Zensho-an in Tokyo houses the largest single collection of yurei paintings, which are only shown in August, the traditional month of the spirits. Oh. So they get put away. Imagine that creepy room. That storage closet. (laughs) No thanks. Today, the appearance of yurei are somewhat uniform, instantly signaling the ghostly nature of the figure and assuring that it is culturally authentic. So these are what you see in paintings, but if you go visit the forest, which we will do one day, I'm making it a goal I don't know on our that. itinerary, you want to look out for the following. Typical, this is so cliche, white clothing. Okay. Just like Casper and all the ghost images. I guess Well, the, I mean, they got to come from somewhere. Excellent point. Yurei are usually dressed in white, signifying the white burial kimono used in Edo period funeral rituals. In Shinto, white is the color of ritual purity traditionally reserved for priests and the dead. But you can only wear it before Labor Day. Oh, right. Yes. Please don't try after Labor Day. Black hair. The hair of the yurei is often long, black, and disheveled. That's how Megumi looked in the movie. So we need to go back and watch this. So if they had short hair when they died, do they get long hair? I believe so. Oh. Hands and feet. The hands of the yurei are said to dangle lifelessly from the wrists which are held outstretched with elbows near the body. Now, nobody can see this, but I'm guessing it looks like this. Right. right? You can't, nobody can see that. <laughs> I feel like a T-Rex. Imagine a T-Rex. They look like a T-Rex. Okay, okay, cool. And let's see, what about the feet? These features originated in Edo period Iyoki prints and were quickly copied over to Kabuki. I think I've eaten there before. <laughs> Typically, they have black legs and feet floating in the air. I'm floating in the yeah, air. Yeah, I'm creeped out. I'm going to have nightmares. And then finally, Hitodama, yurei are frequently depicted as being accompanied by a pair of floating flames or will-o'-the-wisps in eerie colors such as blue, green, or purple. These ghostly flames are separate parts of the ghost rather than independent spirits. Are you looking at a picture? I just made a really bad mistake. Let's see it. 
Well, I was just looking to see if they dyed with short hair, if they got long hair when they became a yurei. Yeah. Um, but what do you got? I just came up with all these creepy images. Oh boy, they're yeah. really not so fun. I'm gonna be screaming tonight. Mm. Oh, that's Megumi. Was that Megumi? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Ugh. So there you have it. A little bit more information about the cultural side of this forest, but still very sad that people are going there too. Yeah. And I wonder, I, you know, this is something maybe we could look at for another episode sometime. I wonder if people are wanting to go there to become a yure so they can haunt the people that wronged them but to cause if, them to commit suicide. I don't know. But I mean, I, I feel like with that culture, it doesn't matter where you commit suicide. Didn't they say just a violent death period? Yeah, like I don't think you have to go there to become a yure. I just think that they obviously know mm. if you live there culturally, that's kind of where they all hang out. Okay. They so want to have I, some friends in the afterlife? Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe bring a gang with them to haunt you? There's got to be something. And I didn't find any information in this deeper dive why people go there. I think it's just a popular... Uh, it's Word actually of mouth? I mean, like what, ha- what the causes The second this? most popular place to commit suicide in the world. Do you know where the first is? No. Golden Gate Bridge. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I never really hear about that. Yeah. I'm not sure it's it's a thing anymore, but I think so many have. I don't think you can out. anymore. I'm trying to reflect back to when I ran a marathon there and ran across it. I don't. Th- I think there's high fences now. I don't think you actually can. Let me find out if I'm correct. But when I, yeah. No, I'm sorry. What did I say? Golden Gate yeah, Bridge. Yeah, okay. So I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think you said? I, I just couldn't remember if I said something else or not. But yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's really late. I'm tired. You okay? are a, you're acting I've been like studying a dead people in Texas all day. Yeah. Crazy. All right. Anyway, so yes, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. They also um, say the Sydney Harbor Bridge, the Empire State Building, and Niagara Falls are among the top suicide sites. Yeah. I mean, I, a site has always been a high building or something like that, or a bridge. That's always what I've thought of when you think of a suicide site, I guess. I never thought of a forest until last week. That would be kind of a fun deep dive. What is it about these places that just draw people to them? Well, if you jump off a bridge, I hope it's a deep dive. hey Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I won't do the rim shot on yeah, this podcast. Don't. Thank you so much. Well, that's all I got. Not a lot of information there, no, but, but I just wanted good. to go good. into a little more of the uh, spiritual Japanese spiritual side to all of our Japanese listeners out there, anyone else stateside that is uh, connected to Japan in any way. I'm very sorry about making jokes about the name sounding delicious and all that. I'm just trying to be silly and bring light to this because I'm a little scared. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a rough situation. And I don't know about you, but like psychologically for me, I need to like make things light. Yes. Otherwise, I get sad. And I will go on record to say that I love Japanese culture. My favorite of all the, you know, Eastern Asian cultures. So, yeah. I mean, you have to make these bad things. Yes. That's where it's coming from. Don't not anybody so get offended and cancel my Twitter or anything. I don't Do even have, have Twitter. A Twitter. No, but don't cancel me. Okay. Don't cancel. All right. That's all I got. Take care of each other. Okay. Well, if you want any more information on these cases or stories, please visit us on social media at How Did We Miss That? And a big shout out goes for our theme composition to Audio Anywhere Productions. You can find them at audioanywhereproductions.com. And until next week, keep your head up, look out for each other, stay safe, everybody. Bye.